0: Hello and welcome to Banking Transform, the top podcast in retail banking. I'm your host, Jim Marus, owner and CEO of the Digital Banking Report and co-publisher of the Financial Brand. Embedded Finance integrates financial services such as payments, lending, insurance, with non-financial business infrastructure. This provides a seamless bridge between a brand, the consumer, and the financial solution provider. The expansion of embedded finance solutions on the B2C side has skyrocketed, while B2B solutions have seen much more tepid growth. Innovation of both forms of solutions is expected to continue to be robust in the foreseeable future. We are fortunate to have Mike Cressy and Tyra Hall from FIS Global on the Banking Transform podcast. They discuss the current embedded banking and banking-as-a-service solutions and how they can provide both opportunities and a threat in the future. So welcome to the show, Mike and Tyra. You know, consumers and businesses increasingly expect embedded banking experiences, yet many banks and credit unions still struggle with supporting this due to legacy technologies or lack of internal expertise, or maybe not even understanding the entire concept. As with any major trend, embedded finance is both a threat and an opportunity. With the collaboration between for traditional financial institutions and fintech organizations being part of the solution. So to start, can both of you provide a little bit of your individual perspective as to where embedded finance is today and why traditional finance institutions need to pay attention? Mike, why don't we start with you?
1: Yeah, I really appreciate it. And, and thanks for welcoming me on the show and super happy to be here with you and with Tyra. So, First of all, embedded finance is showing up in our everyday lives and and we're seeing it as consumers. And essentially what embedded finance is, right, for those that are very new to it is, it's taking a financial service or experience that historically a financial institution would have offered, and it's embedding it at the point of need for a consumer or a business in a non-financial service context, which often is a, a digital front end of another application. So, as an example, just think about when you're riding with Uber, your payment is just embedded as part of your ride experience. So, as we look at that marketplace in totality, right, I've always found that consumer experiences end up informing expectations of business experiences. And so now we're seeing a trend where, starting with small businesses, as they're interacting in their various software packages or interacting, in their various platforms where they're actually selling their goods and services, there's a great opportunity for financial institutions, banks, credit unions, to offer opening deposit accounts, linking debit cards, getting merchant cash advances, accessing credit, all sorts of different value-added services into that platform where that seller, that small business is already interacting. Similarly, there's a great opportunity for financial institutions that are offering business banking to their end customers, in particular small business customers, to transition from transactional banking where you can pull your accounts and look at transaction views to offering value-added services, whether those are full liquidity views of your position as a small business or whether that's the ability to send an invoice or receive a payment or any of those other dynamics in play.
2: Tyra, what are some of your thoughts? Yeah, and Mike, I would just add to that. And again, Jim, thanks to you and the team for having us on today. Um, You think about that small business customer that Mike's talking about. I mean, that's the same customer who could be walking into a bank branch or could be in a marketplace like an Etsy to provide their goods and services or could be accessing their whole experience through a brand, right? They're walking into a CVS or they're walking into a Target. And so the vision with embedded finance, as Mike said, around point of need is you want to be interacting and engaging with them in each of those channels. And I think coming from a context where I have a long history on the bank side um, and we serve a myriad of those banks today, we see this as a, a big opportunity for those banks to start to access those channels with very different economics and different ways that they distribute sort of that end customer experience. And around the experience piece, that's so important because we we think a lot about how do you delight your customers, right? The small business customer today, we know 80% of small businesses are really concerned with cash flow, right? And particularly heightened by COVID, but we wanna be helping them think about that financial services bundle. You wanna be onboarded once in an ideal experience, right? You wanna go through that onboarding and really say, I'm starting a business. What is that financial package that's gonna give me security and the ability to grow? As I think through where I want to take my business. And so so how we can access that and the various channels we start to bring that to life in are are critically important to us.
0: You, you know, it's interesting because embedded finance and even banking as a service, which is kind of like I'll call the flip side of the same coin, is interesting because it's it, you know, it's one of these things that's really all about the customer experience. What we're trying to do is build a a way to embed financial services in such a way to make my process, my daily life easier without having to link things every time. It, it, you can give a number of examples. Tyra, can you it, give some examples both from a business perspective, but also from a financial institution perspective as to, you know, the kind of kind of services we're talking about, but also maybe examples of, of organizations that have done these things.
2: Yeah, you know, so Jim, there are a couple. I'll just uh, spend some time building on Mike's point too around Uber. I mean, Uber is such a great example because um, it's relatable to so many people. It's not just the payments. I think. I think where they really innovated was understanding that for gig workers, there's a whole set of financial services that can be provided to them. Um, and so they expanded the vision beyond just the seamlessness of the payment itself, but starting to get into, you know, issuing checking accounts without overdraft fees, without long credit checks around it, then you start to move into how do I get into early wage access, instant payouts. Um, And from there, then kind of moving into new areas like value-add services where you you can start to offer insurance, right? So you have insurance to the driver, you have insurance to the rider, and that's embedded in the ride so that that's that's a consumer experience but really t- ties back to a gig worker or really a sole proprietor that's that's running and managing that business and the set of services that that they want to consume on the other end, you can see players like Netsuite. You know, they announced a partnership with HSBC back in 2021. They were really looking at, as a leading ERP provider, so that persona of a business that's in there in their ERP that's struggling with bank, right? They don't know how to move money, or they might have different variations of how they move money today, but it wasn't seamless in terms of the reconciliation and, and the processes that they want to do with their ERP. Now they've created a platform with where with HSBC where they can do uh specifically cross-border wallets and and be able to support many of those cross-border flows or file an expense report within NetSuite and be able to settle that. On the bank side, there are a myriad of examples. I mean, they're the banks that really started the fintech journey, you know, the Evolves, the coastal community banks, the cross rivers. But Mike and I have seen a lot of those banks now start to say, what does it really take to be, to, to bring on the risk and the compliance and understanding the underwriting needs and and how to more play in that ecosystem. And so, you know, those those are the types of entities that we're starting to work with and where we're really helping them navigate that journey more broadly.
0: Well, it's interesting, Mike, too, is this is really not something that only can be done by the biggest financial institutions, is it? I mean, it's really something that an institution of any size can build what I'm going to call the twenty first century version of of merchant services, but also can partner with Fintechs to provide services within those fintech operations as well, correct?
1: yeah, that that's one hundred percent correct. And so we're seeing a couple of trends, right that are that are key. and and first is we're watching as financial institutions are embracing technologies from providers, right? And FIS is such a provider where we've enabled journeys that financial technology firms can consume from those financial institutions, like opening an account, linking a card, issuing credit. So the financial institution, regardless of size, can microservice API enable their underlying platforms through a provider like us so that those FinTechs can actually consume that capability and bring those journeys out. Similarly, fintechs are able to completely ideate directly with a provider like FIS to be able to figure out what journeys they want to offer and we can bring our banking partners to bear. Either way, it's always a partnership, right? It's financial institutions partnering with financial technology companies to, at the end of the day, make the client experience more seamless and more easy. You know, Tyra, uh, Uh, talked to me in the very early days when we first were bringing this together about 18 months ago about this set of five-minute sprints that every small business has to do at the end of their core job of selling their goods and delivering their goods and services, right? They have to reconcile their GL. They have to go to their bank account. They have to check their liquidity flows. They have to send out invoices. Why can't all of that be consolidated into a single place? And the answer is, there's no reason why it can't. Today, it can be. And that's what we're seeing happen. And we're seeing that uh, get driven out across the marketplace today.
0: Well, it's interesting, Mike, is we had um, a gentleman from Webster Bank um, on the show, and they talked about how they're, they're building not only a uh, bank as a service platform, but also embedded banking platform. This is a $60 billion bank. This is not a huge bank. But they're doing some very innovative things to not only distribute their services to a much broader customer base, but doing it at scale and efficiently more efficiently than they would ever been able to do it outside of this environment. So I'm going to go back a little bit on definition point, Mike, if you could provide a little point of clarity with regard to the differences, the nuances between embedded banking, banking as a service and open banking.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to touch on that. And then uh, Tyra I'll kick it over to you uh, for any more additional detail around it. So, for us, first of all, we think of embedded finance as the macro category, which is embedding financial services at a place where financial services historically weren't offered, right? And we've talked about a number of examples around that. Banking as a service is really the ability for a financial institution to enable their capabilities within that embedded finance experience. So it's a bank taking their banking capabilities service enabling them so that a fintech can come in and consume them and actually then make those available to their end clients. And then when I think about open banking, that's really more about the free exchange of information and the portability of account data uh, and client data from financial institution to financial institution. So as an example in Europe, you'll see that it's much easier for a consumer or a business to move from one bank to another with that open banking initiative and open banking platform, whereas in the U.S., that's still somewhat difficult, but we're certainly heading in that direction. Tyra, anything you'd add or clarify around that?
2: I I would just add to Mike's point. I, th- I think, Jim, another thing is when we think about embedded finance, there's embedded banking, as you said. So there's a whole set of services that the bank's providing. Right. Mike talked about the deposit account, the debit card, the issuance, the lending sheet, the lending capabilities and the balance sheet. But they are also really attractive adjacencies that are very important to that small business customer. I talked a bit about insurance, payroll, um, accounting, that reconciliation to the general ledger. That's that five-minute sprint at the end of the day that the small business you know, wants to get through as quickly as possible so they can focus on doing what's at their core. So for us, what's been so um exciting as we're talking to banks, you know, similar to what you're talking about with Webster is that you're in a in a, in an ecosystem where we're really kind of trying to democratize more of these financial services for these entities. The magic is in how do you do that, right? How does a bank that has 10 billion in assets or 100 billion in assets really think about starting on this journey? Um, and what does it be, mean to be kind of API enabled Uh, within that ecosystem as well. So so those are some of the things that, that we've spent a lot of time kind of trying to think through and making sure that we're offering services across that broader set but that also married to the data and, and the key areas that the bank is most versed in to really bring that in and make it differentiated market for them.
0: So Tyra, sticking with you for a second, what more market forces in the industry have driven this shift and, and why now? And, and did COVID play a role in this with regard to embedded banking, both in the B2B and the B2C categories?
2: Yeah, so Jim, absolutely. I mean, that that's a big one that Mike and, and myself and the team have looked at, right? COVID is obviously driven and an enormous shift for how, in particular, small business customers are accessing new customer points. They're looking to grow revenue with their existing customers, and it's forcing them online, right? So we've seen that shift in payments on the acceptance side. We know also that it's creating variability in some cases in their income streams and in their cash flow. So it's been been much more around, you know, how do you start to create that as an impetus for how do you save your business or how do you grow your business and and go through those inflection points where you're bringing that into the ecosystem. The other big thing, of course, is the digitization of the customer experience. And so customers are demanding more and they want to be served differently. Um, And we know that, you know, historically, as someone who came from the bank side, you you didn't have necessarily all of the tools at your disposal to create those kind of unique experiences if you were relying on a retail bank branch or you were reliant on that face-to-face interaction. So now we're in an ecosystem where that's where the fintechs and where the brands are really starting to differentiate themselves and why this becomes so compelling to to bring it in. And then I think the third area in terms of trends is that we are seeing um, customers that are looking for a one-stop shop. So you don't want to have to, if you're fintech, you don't want to have to be integrating with multiple providers, right? That can be a one-to-two-year path. You've got to, you know, get a bin sponsor set up. You have to think about how you want to do the card issuance fees. You want to come up with a lending platform that can offer various forms of lending. Um, We really see increasingly that you want to integrate once. You want to be able to leverage onboarding one time. And then have at your disposal this broader breadth of of financial services that Mike talked about originally within the definition of EF, and start to 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 create that out. So, so those are really some of the trends that are that are driving what we're seeing in market and a lot of the development we're doing from a product side.
0: So so Mike, from your perspective, before embedded banking and and over the last ten to twenty years, financial traditional financial service organizations, except for the biggest players, have really lost. The payments business. I mean, I remember when merchant business and payments business was the biggest at every organization, but uh, traditional financial institutions in many ways have let that go or lost control of it. I mean, if I link a card to an Amazon account, then the traditional financial institution doesn't have access to the micro information that may talk about who I am, what I buy, and these things. But doesn't embedded banking and banking as a service now? Possibly bring that payment service back into the limelight and allow financial institutions to access data that they kind of lost in the experience previously?
1: I 100% agree with that statement, and and I'd go a a couple of different directions with it. First of all, I think that there's been a proliferation of providers of different financial service products, right? And as we watch uh, this happen, both consumer users and small business users are really consuming many different platforms for many different things. I think just as Tyra was talking about a one-stop shop that bank partners and FinTech partners are looking for, I think that consumers and small businesses are gonna start rationalizing down the different areas that they go to manage accounts, to manage payments that are coming in, and to be able to manage their overall experience around money. So I think we're gonna continue to see that. Um, I also think that this is a great inflection point where as we enter into a slightly more recessed environment and we don't know what the future is currently gonna hold in that way, we're going to watch some financial technology firms who might've been more upstart or newer start to dwindle on the capital they have access to, and people are going to look back to, where's the place where I know I can keep my money and it's going to be safe? Who's Who can I trust, right? And ultimately in everyone's mind, where they immediately go is to their financial institution. We see that happen time and time again. And especially as we're watching the cryptocurrency bubble a little bit first and some of the things that have happened there out there in the marketplace, people are rethinking, hey, where do I really wanna have all of these payment flows and dollar flows? I think if financial institutions, banks and credit unions can demonstrate nimbleness and the ability to bring those same embedded experiences, but still have it backed by that, that trust and that security and that FDIC of the banks and the credit unions, I think that really positions financial institutions well to be
0: able to capitalize on this inflection point. So so Tyra, when we talk about the bringing together of traditional and, and fintech organizations, you know, to Mike's point, is the marketplace now really stoked up to make this even happen more? I mean, we, we see that the, the fin, the funding mechanisms that were there in the past for fintech firms really aren't there as much as they were at the same time. Traditional financial institutions really need a boost on their innovation capabilities, which fintech organizations can combine. So, is this maybe the perfect storm in a good sense where the coming together of both traditional banks and fintech organizations can really come together and bring this embedded solution or banking as a service solution? to the forefront?
2: Yeah, that's exactly the way we're seeing it. I mean, if you think, um, you know, Cornerstone Advisors, you'd used a term called flywheel effect around embedded finance. And that's very much what we're seeing. We're seeing that there's a symbiotic relationship that exists now. Um, the brand and the security and the trust that comes from your bank provider, as Mike was talking about, right, that that's powering these expe- experiences. You aren't going to see fintechs that really want to go out and procure a banking license. Right. And we know what that path looks like both in terms of expense and time frame. Um, But I also think with, with the, the sort of coming down to some of the valuations you're seeing fintechs that are saying we need good partners that are nimble. We need partners that know the space that can bring knowledge of risk compliance, um, regulations that we might not be versed in and help us think about how do we package that, right? It could be an asset. It could be different sets of services that they're offering or it's sitting in the back end as they're onboarding new clients. And so there there is a lot of opportunity for banks depending on where they feel comfortable in their risk profile. Um, The other big thing here is As we talked about kind of the democratization of many of these banks, these banks have tremendous expertise. I mean, Mike and I spend time with banks all day that are are deep in crypto or they might be deep in certain verticals like property management or homeowners associations. You imagine you bring the power of that against a software platform that's serving property managers and helping them with their workflows and just managing the day to day operations of the property and collecting rent. You start to marry the value of that data together when you do it seamlessly, right? With the right API connections against it. It is extremely powerful because they're each bringing one, you know, the sense of credit underwriting and risk and the other really bringing a knowledge of what the customer interaction is day in, day out. Uh, the combination of that is is extremely, extremely powerful in markets. And so that's where I think you're going to see things really start to converge.
0: Well, to take that a step further, Tyra, I I think also, and you work with financial institutions from the the front to the back, from the side to the side, I mean, all throughout the organization as a core provider. But I think more than ever, this really puts a heightened focus on efficiencies, data transfer and, and democratization, speed and scale. I mean if you don't have that efficiency the the building a digital bank from the inside out if you don't have those capabilities you're really playing catch up in more ways than one aren't you even if you want to provide an embedded banking solution you you may not have the back office to support that which means you really you really got to come to the to be future ready don't you?
2: Yeah, exactly. And I, th- I think, you know, as we have been on this journey with many of those banks sitting in the regional and community bank all the way up to the tier one space, that that is really what it comes down to. It's, you know, do we have an API platform that a developer can come into and start to access these sets of, of you know, embedded banking services that we want to take to market? what is the breadth and scope of those services? Because again, you don't want to be having to go to multiple providers depending. So do you have appetite in lending? Do you have appetite right around deposits and KYC and KYB? And then the ease and simplicity of just, even if you access those, you're, you know, getting, getting those, those experiences set up. But then, as you said, it's the servicing and it's the support and it's the back office. And so We've seen models in market where either banks are willing to to sort of provide that themselves, where they've staffed for it and they've accounted for it because at the top of the house, they're really seeing this as a, a big new growth channel for them. And we're also seeing players and providers in markets that specialize in risk orchestration or in back office case management. And so it's so dynamic right now that depending on, on where you want to be, do you want to be a bank that dabbles in this and starts to get motions around it? Or do you want to be one of those banks that's really committed, committed to fintech banking? Um, depending on where you are on the spectrum, there are different ways that you can pull together a breadth of solutions to meet that need.
0: You know, you know Mike, we haven't touched too much on it except in, in discussions around B2C, but you head up the B2B and money movement area of FIS. Why has B2B embedded solutions lagged those that we see in the B2C markets?
1: Yeah, and and, and but before I answer that question, I just want to tie off on, on one other point um, for the last question that Tyra was answering. I think it's going to be really important for financial institutions to focus on how can they differentiate in their core offering? Who are they that differentiates them as a player? Where does, as Tyra was referring to, that vertical expertise lie or that risk management expertise lie, and then really focusing on that area of embedded finance. Now, Jim, to your question on B2B and why that's lagging, I've been in this industry for a long time and B2C disbursements also flow up under my remit within FIS. And what I would tell you is, first of all, consumer to consumer is where the innovation almost always starts. And then pretty soon consumers start expecting those same things from the business interactions they're having. And when those consumers are employees at that business interacting with other businesses, they're like, wait, if I can go out to dinner with Jim and we can split the check real time, we can pay each other, then shouldn't I as a business be able to pay this vendor real time when the money's due for that good or service that they, they brought to my table. And so that consumerization, I'm watching it happen real time. So I know we're thinking, wow, this is kind of lagging, right? Where are these experiences for businesses? But real time, we're already seeing, especially with small businesses where the consumerization generally starts first, we're starting to see a whole slew of embedded finance offerings coming into the market. And ultimately that'll get to larger and larger businesses. So I'm super excited, right? Because I think at the end of the day, the CFO of a Fortune 500 company or a global 100 company, along with a sole proprietorship, and walk into a single interface see all of their liquidity see their cash flows in their cash flows out understand if they're going to be out of balance get easy access to credit be able to manage any of their insurance any other payroll all through this single interface which is embedding all of the different embedded financial
0: experiences and all the different value added services that they need to run their business so mike same with you you know There still is a gap exists. I mean, we talk about how great embedded banking and even banking as a service and open banking is. And yet a lot of traditional financial institutions, big and small, are really lagging the marketplace as far as what's needed and what's wanted to be done. What do you see as the biggest gap or the biggest hurdle that many financial institutions face? I mean, you, you probably sit down with them and they're, they're shaking their head. Yes, they, they understand everything. They agree with everything, but they don't pull the trigger. What do you think stands in the way from, from watching and doing? So I think, there's a,
1: I think there's a couple of dynamics in play there. I think the first is, do they have a technology stack? Have they made the investments? Are they working with a set of providers? that actually make it possible for that financial institution to participate in embedded finance, banking as a service, embedded banking, open banking. Does their technology actually allow for it? And if not, the time to pivot actually was in the past, but the time to pivot is now, right? That that decision has to be made because that is where the future of financial services is going. Financial services delivered at the point of need, not necessarily through the bank's pane of glass or through the branch, but absolutely at the point of need. So so that's dynamic number one, right, is is you have the technology. Dynamic number two is people are blending concepts, right? So as an example, people are blending the concept of open banking, which is the portability of account information and data and the democratization of that with embedded financial experiences in a, a fintech application where a single dry cleaner franchise, right, is able to get the Bank account that they need and be able to accept payments and be able to order supplies and pay those bills and get cash advances. There's there's too much blending happening. What I would what I would offer to the financial institutions listening is first figure out do your systems make it happen, but then after that, what is your core expertise? What is the differentiation you bring to market? Because I guarantee you there's a set of financial technology companies out there that are interacting with your customers providing them the technologies to run their businesses that they would love to embed your banking services
0: in. You know, that being said, what you're really, what you're able to do now more than ever, I believe, is as opposed to converting your entire back office to a complete core conversion, you can compartmentalize this in such a way to address the segment needs that you may want to address, you know, Tara brought up earlier, you know, dealing with certain segments and knowing your specialty. Well, what's great about the marketplace today is you can find providers, including your own company, that doesn't have to convert the entire back office. You can convert part of it so you can, you can, you know, catch the speed. You can you can still handle that first mover advantage. And Tara, you know, from your perspective, is there still any first mover advantage available to embrace both embedded banking and banking as a service?
2: Yeah, Jim, I I very much feel that there is. I mean, what what we've seen is, again, coming back to the specialization. You know, these these banks have such depth of expertise in the verticals and in the segments that they operate against. And so that's hard to replicate when you move to a different bank, even if it has global or national footprint. They have different segments that they serve, and so for those banks that want to come in and say, as you said, like this, is, this is where we know underwriting incredibly well. This is where we can read the market. This is where we have additional data sources that we leverage against it, and so we think we can credit decision faster than you know a, a bank that doesn't have this depth. Those are the, those are kind of the vectors that that you want to push on, and and just coming back to Mike's point on on as you're thinking about this from a bank journey perspective, you know, we've we've seen a lot of success of even helping our banks start small. And and by that, I mean, you know, we offer today at FIS a, a big online banking platform that we call Digital One. Within that online banking platform, we've been bringing to bear for small business customers, not just their banking data and their banking transactional information and being able to do bill pay, but also being able to generate an invoice, right? So I'm on the fly from my mobile device, I can generate an invoice and then I can accept a payment. Um, So I'm out in the field, I'm a field services worker, I'm doing lawn care, I can accept a payment at that point in time. And then it reconciles seamlessly into my accounting solution. We've seen a lot of banks say, Let's launch something that is, is more comprehensive to the customers we serve through the existing channels in which we serve them. But again, broaden the space where we historically play. So it's not just, you know, bank transaction information. It's it's really getting into what's the flow of that everyday experience for that end customer. And then use that as a building block to say, again, these are the verticals we specialize in, as you said Let's cordon off a portion of our back office or a risk and underwriting department and see where we, we we are comfortable lending. And then this really just becomes a new avenue to distribute those experiences through different channel partners, but still biased or, or sort of based on the motions that they've already been putting in market today.
0: Well, it's really about incremental innovation, you know, it's it's and at speed. You know, we... we I, it gets frustrating at times when I talk to traditional banks because, you know, I remember what it was like where we innovated maybe once a year, once every two years and introduced something new, that big new thing. And it really wasn't all that new and it wasn't all that big. But the reality is now there's really a premium placed on the ability to innovate at speed and to be able to scale up quickly and realizing that you you may not have that one big push, but it all works together. And, and Mike, from your perspective, you know, when you look at that first mover advantage, what is, it not number one, I'll ask you the same question, is it still there and why is it still there?
1: Yeah, so the first mover advantage is absolutely still there. And one of the reasons why is because this this space is still very much green field, as we'd call it, right? At, at the end of the day, the technologies that have taken things like opening an account, linking a card, getting a cash advance, populating insurance offers, sending out an invoice, paying a bill, the ability to expose those into a a development layer that allows you not only to do deep integration if you want to, but also low-code development to be able to integrate that into a set of journeys, whether those are through the business banking and the digital banking experience of the FI or directly through the fintech. That, that's, that's newer technology, right? That technology has shown up on the scene over the last two to three years. And the early adopter curve is kind of done now. And so it's, it's a wide open space for financial institutions that are really available to do this from a technology standpoint to jump in. And, and as Tyra suggested, we really do have the opportunity to increment financial institutions along the way, right? We've set up the customer journeys and set up the capabilities in a way that you can start with something as simple as opening an account. You can then follow on with issuing a debit card. You can then follow on after you see the cash flows in and out with offering a line of credit or doing a merchant cash advance. And so we'd really love to partner in any way with any of the financial institutions that are listening to this and FinTechs that are listening to this. And we've already done that with a number of our existing financial institutions and FinTech clients as well. And, And I've got to tell you, the results are really, really satisfying. The, the example that, that Tyra was talking about where we enabled through Digital One this ability for a small business while looking at their transactional banking to send an invoice, accept a payment, reconcile down to their general ledger. We've been watching, as that gets enabled on a bank-by-bank basis, we've been watching purchasing volumes growing by 30%, 40%, 50% month over month because small businesses
0: are hungry for this capability. Okay, so I'm gonna throw this out to both of you. You know, you, you both go on the, in the field. You're presenting the potential of embedded banking, both on a B2B and a B2C perspective. You get the the visual buy-in, but nothing happens. How do you convince leadership at times of continued success to embrace a completely new banking solution that disrupts status quo when nothing feels broken? So, so Jim, I'll start and then I'll hand it to you, Tyra, but,
1: and and maybe this is a result of the role that I'm in, but I'm actually not finding myself in that position. The, the, the financial institutions that I'm in the field and that I'm meeting with are already there in terms of we need to get on this train and we need to do this. And so whether it's the top tier, top five FIs in the country that are already doing it mostly internally in their own different ways and enabling their capabilities through FinTechs, whether it's some of these nimbler, really tech focused banks as Tyra was mentioning earlier who got an early start in the game and really did a lot of the great pioneering that was happening. The banking leaders that I meet with from a president of a $16 billion asset bank, give or take here in the US a week ago to the largest of banks, to banks under a billion in assets, everybody is thinking about this. So I'm not having to convince anyone. It's more about how can we strategically come alongside and consult with them on the right way using their core expertise to come into the market.
2: Tyra? Yeah, and Mike, that that's exactly what what I think we feel that we can add the most value around is, is that consultative approach that Mike was talking about, because it is, it is a big piece of work, both whether you think about the development, the back office support, getting your risk and legal and compliance departments geared up to support this. It's a big amount of work. So I think Jim, some of some of the things we fall into do sometimes is, you know, the commitments there at the top of the house. We want to get started but this can't be a three-year journey because there's concern about we miss the market, right? We're not in there right here creating those experiences at point of need. So that's where starting to think about the smaller things that are more bite-sized, right? That you can do as we were talking about through in, within your, your digital banking experience or focusing very hyper-focused on a vertical and setting up a team of dedicated people. And it has to be cross-functional, right? Because everything we're talking about Works in lockstep with product, technology, legal compliance. Everyone has to have a seat at that table. But you set up a team. You know, we, we've seen banks. Mike and I have been talking to a number of banks. We're seeing the proliferation of embedded banking divisions, embedded payment divisions. These are being set up. They're sometimes being set up under the, the head of strategy. They're being set up under the head of innovation. So we've seen that as a really successful model because then you not only have the buy-in from the top, but you have the subject matter experts that are all coming together with a shared vision and a shared goal. And then they say, how do we build this? To Mike's point, many of that, you know, can be partnership. It can be things that they bring to the table immediately. And they start to see the proof points. Like you got to be able to start to see within 12 months, where am I making some meaningful progress that I can point back to? And then that builds the case to make the type of investments that we're talking about. You know, it's the modernization of the core. It's it's starting to harness the power of these APIs. It's setting up a whole new back office division. Like you have the proof points against it because you've set that structure up for success. So that's a lot of what we're seeing as well in terms of how the banks are organizing. And and
0: maybe you, you kind of answered this in your last answer, and I think Mike did a little bit earlier as well. But when it comes down to the, the meat and potatoes doing it, where do organizations need to start? If if I'm a small organization, I'm an under $10 billion organization, and you're my core provider, how do I start and where do I start to make this happen?
2: Yeah, so I, I would start with, I hope if, if, if FIS is your core provider and we have that privilege, you come to us because those are exactly the kind of conversations that we want to be having with you, right? And, and from that type of conversation it would really be deep diving into who are the segments you serve today and where do you do exceptionally well and, and what are sort of the assets and um, the expertise that you have that you bring to the table to serve that. And then where do you want to grow, right? What's the vision of where the bank wants to be? Whether it's bringing in new channels for distribution, new sources of interest income or non-interest income, how do you sort of see that playing out? And then we will work with you to think about ways that we can provide that type of access, right? We can bring in partners, we can bring in recommendations on best-of-breed providers. We have all of the work we've been doing to modernize our own cores. Um, There's a lot of education around what's available out of the box. For the companies that we serve today, and so we just want to make sure we're part of the dialogue and we're sitting at the table with you, um, if we're, we're in that privileged position to be able to serve those banks. Mike, what what would you add to that?
0: Or even more importantly, Mike, what would you what would you say if I'm not an FIS customer? Because I know that you know the br- great thing about solution providers today is everybody is working together to get their financial systems up to speed. Even if it means you know, knocking on the door is something that is already being done by somebody else, but maybe not as well.
1: Yeah, I think that in in any case, if we're talking about a financial institution, I think the financial institution needs to look in the market to find out who's talking about embedded finance, who has the expertise to move forward. Ultimately, it's not really a core dependent solution. There's a lot of ways to be able to get into offering your services into fintechs. And if I think about FIS as an example, because we have such a large merchant business where we have gone to market in partnership with financial institutions and in partnership with fintechs to enable payment acceptance across more than a million merchants globally, we have those connections with those fintechs and ISVs to slot you as a financial institution into a relationship to provide embedded financial services. And so I would say call us, if not us, make sure you find an expert in the industry and Start your journey because we are in this perfect moment where the technology solution has proved itself out. We've crossed the chasm of early adoption and we're now ready to go out into the green field and really, really add a lot of value to the customers out there and generate a lot of interest-based and non-interest income for your financial institution.
0: So finally, this is a quick round. It's only one question, but to both you, Knowing that we don't want to make any predictions further out than three years, because we've already proven that 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 is a faulty assumption that we can do that, given all this happened the last three years. Um, where do you? What is going to be the biggest thing that we see in the embedded finance marketplace in the next one to three years?
2: Mike, you want to go first?
0: Sure. So I think what you're going to see is you're
1: going to see the winners will have started to be significantly ahead. And you'll see the trailers start to trail back further and further behind because I think the embedded financial journeys are really well understood. I think that 80% of the use cases or 50% at least of the use cases that will ultimately be embedded are probably already there or available to be embedded. And then I think you're going to see the additional use cases get embedded, but then the leaders of offering those services and empowering the entire ecosystem and bringing value to every constituent in the ecosystem are going to start to emerge out of the pack over the next three years. Tyra, what are your thoughts?
2: And I would also add that I think you're going to see this this movement to embedded finance platforms. So what I mean by that is it's going to be less about individual entities, but more around a platform and ecosystem of orchestration that... As you come in, whether it be via a particular persona or a particular channel or a particular need set, right? Small businesses come in when they start a business, when they need cash flow, when they're you know when their business starts to take off, or they go global. There are all these kind of moments of truth for a small business customer, and I think as you start to see that come in, you're going to have platforms across embedded finance that are going to harness best of breed providers. And to Mike's point, we we just want to make sure that. Um, we're empowering the the entities that we serve and the partners that we work with to be part of that and to build that platform vision alongside us. So that's that's really where I think we'll see the market going in the next few years.
0: And I'm going to add one more. It's kind of a combination of both yours. And that is that I think we're seeing a lot of what we would consider to be relatively modest-sized organizations gain tremendous scale invisibly without building a branch and without adding a organic, traditional customer, but, in, but instead building these relationships that really bring revenue in at massive amounts because of these relationships that have been built. And, and it's interesting when you look back and seeing how we viewed fintech uh, just as short as three to four years ago and how fintech's being being viewed today as a partner, how small businesses are our partners, and how innovation is so important and how solution providers like FIS can continually provide the needed expertise so you don't have to add a ton of resources to get there. You know, both of you, thank you so much for being on the show today. Very enlightening. The time went extraordinarily fast. And I don't know if there's right now a subject matter that's more global to financial services than embedded finance. So thank you very much for being on the show. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Dan. Thanks for listening to Bank and Transform, winner of three international awards for podcast excellence. If you enjoy what we're doing, please take 30 to 45 seconds to show some love in the form of a review. It helps us to continue to get great guests like today. Also, be sure to catch my recent articles in the financial brand and the research we're doing on the Digital Banking Report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our producer, Leah Haslitz, audio engineer, Sean Roll hoffman and video producer, Will Pritz. I'm your host, Jim Roos. Until next time, remember, embedded finance is a foundational part of the future of banking, and not just a trend that credit unions and banks can simply ignore.